Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and unfortunately, uh, Father Chuck is not here. Matt might be chiming in later, but that's okay because uh, we have a guest this week. I'm not by myself. <laughs> and uh, my guest is Amanda Young. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, feeling a little alone at the moment because this has never really happened to me before. My co-hosts are, are not here. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the uh, the trifecta is, is missing. It's I know. Just, it's a it's a one fecta. Yeah, one fecta, one fecta, one, one fecta episode. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I uh, posted a uh, Indiegogo page uh, for a short film called Love Gwen, and uh, I hope you donated to it uh, because that film is finished, and the director is here with me today, and that's Amanda. Uh, it's so, done, yeah. <laughs> it's done, and I watched it. Chuck has watched it. No, Matt is watching it right now, I think. Um, and we loved it. Um, but so Amanda is here with us today. We're going to talk about the film. We're going to talk about her experience in the film industry and also about the subject matter. Uh, but before we go into that, uh, I do just kind of want to take a minute to address uh, the incident that happened over the weekend uh, in Las Vegas. I haven't really prepared anything, so this is kind of candid. Usually Chuck is the one that's really good at things like this. <laughs> but uh, I just want to say that all of us, all of our hearts go out to uh, the victims and their families, and their families are definitely in our continued thoughts and prayers. And um, even our show was uh, a little affected by it as we have uh, some friends who were at the concert that night, and uh, thankfully they were not yeah. hurt. Having said that, um, Amanda, I don't know if you want to say anything about it or not. I wanted to give you guys a compliment because I've, I've listened to several of your shows now, and I, I think you guys um, do a really great job at wearing your hearts on your sleeves and, and being very caring and, and also very open to any subjects that are going on, particularly in our American culture. And this is, I mean, it's not a cultural subject or event but it's something that you guys do really well is is um you're completely connected to everything that's going on um and i think like a lot of us this week experienced a a, a really really deep sadness oh, yeah. um it's something i was discussing with some colleagues on on tuesday we were watching some footage of um, another filmmaker's documentary that we were kind of re reviewing and um we all three of us just kind of remarked like just this sucks mm -hmm. this it's and it hasn't felt like this or felt like everyone's been that open about something like this in quite some time mm -hmm. that's sort of how i've been processing it this week i have a, a really great friend who lives in ecuador and she's asking me if uh if the u.s is as sad as it seems on the news right now really and i was like yeah, I was like, um, I was like, I think the answer is yes. I was like, I think we're all doing what Americans do, which is you get up the next morning and keep going. It seems like that's always a reaction. But what I've noticed is people have been really open and I would even say careful or, or compassionate with one another this week. That's that's what I've noticed. I don't know if it's if other people have kind of felt the same way. I definitely, yeah, I, I think I've, I've noticed that as well. And I think it's, um, 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think, you know, it, it, when something happens like this, I mean, it, it can only happen so many times before you, it starts to really wear on you. You know what I mean? And it really mm-hmm. is kind of mm-hmm. a symbol of like how often it happens, how horrible it happens so often. Um, right, right. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mean, in my personal opinion, I feel like we're coming really close to a, like a new kind of shift. And, and I think uh, it's really starting to wear down, like, OK, we need to start doing something about this, you know, because it looks like it's just getting worse. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's it's why a- I think uh, a lot of people are be, uh, being a bit nicer. I mean, you still hear the same talking points, you know, from like certain media outlets and whatnot. That's going to happen. But I think still, you know, interpersonally between human beings, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. still, you know, there's some reverence and there is, you know, I think the sadness is starting to outweigh the anger a little bit more lately. Yeah, yeah. So. I um, Have you kept up with sort of the way the media has been covering it. Cause I, I kind of chose not to, I heard about it um, Monday morning because my sister asked if I was there. Um, mm. I, I live in Nashville. So a lot of my work is in the country music realm. Oh, okay. um, I've been out on a, on a different tour this past weekend. Um, I was not, I wasn't with Aldine, but I had, I had just worked on a documentary with Jason Aldine last month. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And, um, super, 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 super casual, great guy to work with. Um, but, but that's how I found out about it was I woke up to text messages of people asking me if I was there, which I, which I wasn't. Um, and then I just kind of decided you, you kind of get the gist of the story. And, and so I kind of just decided not to watch the news about it just because I, I just didn't want to hear about who this man was or, or what they all think his motives were. And I don't know if that is a right or wrong way to do it. That's, that's what I've done this week. So I actually have no clue how it's been being covered. Really? Uh, you might be one of the smart ones, man, <laughs> because I, for, for me, for me, it's unavoidable. I live in, I live in a house uh, with my family, my grandparents mm-hmm. and my parents, and it's a Fox news home. So oh, I, I can't yeah. help but to hear it all day. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you've got it at the dinner table, probably. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it's coming at both yeah. ears, at both ends of the house. So, like, I, you know, um, I don't watch MSNBC or, or I, I sometimes watch CNN, but for the for the most part, the, there are some of the same talking points, and I have heard the coverage of the actual shooter, and you know, mm. it is kind of looking like like a just a situation where a guy just I I, I don't know he like like a Nazi, he just decided to, to be okay to kill people one day. That's what, wow. what it's looking like. And, you know, people are racking it up. So you know, you've got your people saying, like, you know, lone wolf, mental health kind of thing. And um, Yeah. But, uh, you know, he just, he had, like, an enormous collection of guns, like, I think, like, 20, 20 rifles or something. Yeah. Um, which, apparently, I'm, I've been told by people, some people, that's actually not a lot for a collector. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like... I mean, it's a lot for a hotel room in Vegas, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, Alex yeah, Alex Jones is, purport, is reporting that he is uh, Antifa ISIS. I don't know. I didn't know that that, that combination existed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, what, what does that even mean? What is that? that? He's an agent of both Antifa it? and ISIS, obviously. Oh, oh, great. <laughs> and this is they've they've proven this, I'm sure. Oh, he said he said he was getting information on his phone as it was happening, and he's and he made sure to delete it on air. And so. Huh. I, I don't know how this stuff ends up in front of me. It just does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good God. Yeah. I know. Um, so, yeah, and that, I mean, that's 
the gist of it. And I know his girlfriend was out of, was out of the country during the whole thing. And she just came back. And so they're, you know, they're, they're interrogating her and just trying to, everyone's just looking for answers. Like, why did he do it? Like, what kind of person was he? And mm-hmm. For the most mm-hmm. part, people who knew him were shocked. It, it reminds me a lot of like Columbine, really. Yeah. It, um, I think that one of the first thoughts that I had is that it's a, a half as many people from nine 11 almost. I think the number is yeah. maybe not quite half, but maybe 40% of the, of the casualties somewhere in that realm, I want to say. Yeah, like f- 59 dead and 400 injured. and Yeah. It's it's insane. It uh, really is. All right, so um, having said that, uh, again, uh, you know, our hearts go out to the, the victims and their families, and um, people are probably sick of thoughts and prayers, but we, we definitely genuinely mean it. Um, and uh, I'll probably look for some things to, where people can donate or take some action, and I'll, I'll post them later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, moving along, um, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I've been listening to, like I said, like quite a few episodes. I've been yeah. kind of cherry picking them. I've gone through iTunes and found the titles that I found intriguing. And you so. know, and you know what? I always tell people if you have listened to a podcast and you want to, that's exactly what you should do because it's everyone's like, oh, I need to start from the beginning. I'm like, please don't start from the beginning. <laughs> right, 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 right. I think I listened to episode, maybe episode two was the first one. It was like spirituality versus something or other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was one of the first ones. I listened to the Rob Bell one. That's your guys's. That's your that's your uh, yeah. top hit one right there. It yeah, is. Yeah. That's that's the one we. Uh, he was definitely doing us a favor for that one. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So we hadn't even. I don't even think we've even broke a hundred followers on Facebook, and I don't think he knew right. what he was getting into. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that just like during the middle of his work day? That was that was his lunchtime hour with you guys. I, I guess so. We, we I mean, my my friend just put it out there. He's a big Rob Bell fan, and he was just like, I'm just gonna ask him if he wants to do it. Just to see yeah. what happens. And he responded. He's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you <Yeah>. sure? <laughs> yeah. I noticed all three of you guys showed up for Rob Bell. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was all excited for this whole team, but no, no. But maybe we'll get mad. You, you got to be friends with Oprah. What, what can I say? Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Well, me and I've never met Oprah, so it's going to take a while. So uh, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, one, because you know we're, we both went to film school together, and we haven't seen each other in a long yeah. time. We're reconnecting. It's yeah. fun. And also uh, because you are a filmmaker. And yeah. you know, that's where I live. That's this is my this is you know uh, our moment to shine is right now on this podcast. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for for doing it and being open to to having me on. The yeah, show. totally. Uh, so I want to talk about just talk about you and kind of your journey in filmmaking. Sure. Um, yeah. What drew you to film in the first place? Um, it was it's sort of this classically cliche story that I think a lot of us from sort of our, our age group probably have. Um, I think I was six or seven and my grandfather had this old shoulder. It was a Panasonic camera um, that you would always shoot home movies on. And he let me look in it one day. And just the second that I saw that viewfinder, which was all blue, it's no, it's no color back on, on that Panasonic. So the whole thing's just blue and white. Um, but the second I saw the viewfinder and sort of the, the frames on the edges, the square frames there and everything about it, like counting the time and, and how much battery is left, everything about it, it, it occurred to me that I could use whatever this thing is on my shoulder 
to show the world how I see things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and that I thought was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and just from that age of six or seven. So from there, it was just this sort of like childlike love type of thing for me. Right. And I would um, coerce my sisters and cousins into making movies with me. As and, you do. Uh, As you do. Yeah, yeah. Right. I I mean, this story, that's why I say it's almost cliche, because I think there's so many of us that sort of had that opportunity. And what wound up a few like key things wound up happening. um, One being that um, we, we agitated my grandfather so much that he decided he didn't want to shoot our movies anymore because they're just they're chaos. So I wanted to keep making more movies. And he I remember he said, um, he said, you can make more. But and this is how he talked he said you must first write a script and rehearse it <laughs> and then so from there that's why we started writing scripts for what we wanted to do and uh me and my older cousin were the only ones that really wanted to write it so we sort of became the writers of our of our wonderful filmmaking group and then uh from there, just as we got older, nobody wanted to make the movies anymore. Nobody wanted, you know, everybody wanted to be talking on the phone. And this is back when it was like a, a treat to have a phone in your bedroom and things like that. So, so was this always just a constant then? Like you've kind of known since you were a child that this was that this was your your career. This was not just career, but this is just what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah essentially, yeah. I had uh, my mom was really really encouraging about it, and my dad never really understood it but also didn't like stop me or discourage me or anything right and i'm also um i think i'm really kind of hard-headed like i don't think i would have listened if anybody did discourage me but luckily nobody was so that was kind of it and then that's why i decided to to go to film school and um what was it like when you first learned that you could go to school for making movies because for me it like blew my mind like you can go to school for this yeah, I, I mean, I actually, I didn't even want to go to college. Um, really? And my mom, yeah, she had it in her mind that I that I had to go to college. So me, again, being hard-headed, I was like, okay, well, in that case, I'm going to pick a college at a beach. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, and uh, I'm going to study uh, screenwriting, which was my actual major, uh, which yeah. is funny because um, I had taken, like, our, our high school offered a, a production course. So you uh, you majored in screenwriting when when we were going to school together in Palm Beach Atlantic. Yeah, yep, yep. And then um, from there, yeah. you went to uh, uh, like like an actual film school. <laughs> yeah, so I transferred halfway through um, PBA and yeah. went to um, Chapman University. And the reason was just that. PBA just at the time they just didn't offer much in the way of internships. You know, it was kind of like maybe you could get an internship at, at the news station. Right. But I I knew I wanted to to find some way to get an internship and especially at that time I think it, it made sense to be closer to Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. and I have no clue if that would matter nowadays, um, as far as film schools go. But at right. the time it definitely seemed like transferring was was the right. the, the 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 best option at the time. Yeah. So but, after so uh, uh after your like experience of film school and stuff, you know, you did you um what did you do after you graduated once you're out of film school? Um did you keep pursuing I, the film thing? Like, were, were you still making films? Were you working in production? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I basically just started working in production, which seemed like a good idea at the time. And so that has kind of been my life for the last seven years or so. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I just I started um, I moved to Nashville because I had family in Nashville. OK. And um, especially at the time, Nashville was a much cheaper place to live than Los Angeles. And so then um I just started working in, in production. My brother-in-law was a videographer for um, a well-known country duo at the time. Oh, wow. So he was able to get me some gigs. And then um, I basically, I, I started doing what I call gig hopping. Mm-hmm. I would work a job. Um, like I was a production assistant on a feature film. And then from there, then I met some people who needed to staff up for a reality show. So then I would go work on a reality show as an AP for three months, which is an associate producer. Right. So I started working all those, you know, below the line jobs, learning pieces of the industry mm-hmm. and pieces of niches in the industry as well. Because reality television is its own thing. And then you've got docu-reality and you've got some of it is somewhat scripted reality. So I, I just started kind of getting any any job that I could get my hand on that was related to film and television. And then I would still be writing screenplays in my downtime. Right. Um, but that was, that was kind of the struggle for six out of seven of my years out of college has been working jobs, but ultimately trying to, to make films, you right. know, and outside of LA as well. Like I know, I know Nashville is a yeah. pretty happy place in terms of the music scene and stuff, but you know, yeah, working yeah. production outside of LA, it's, 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 it's pretty difficult. Yeah. And it's, but there is, there is one benefit to working outside of New York and LA and it's particularly in Tennessee. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's a right to work state. Oh really? So, yeah. So as a young person, you're able to do a lot more, I think, than you could as a young person starting out in a state where everything is going to be union. And I don't I don't know how I, I, I always struggle between, you know, what's better. But I don't I kind of think now there is no better. It's just different ways of, of working. And I'm sure people are. Like anybody in the industry is gonna be like, oh, sure, you can't say that. Like you know, everybody <laughs> kind of has their opinion. But I, for me, it, it was a good thing to be in a right to work state because I could really move up to shooting a lot faster. That's really interesting. That's that... yeah, yeah. I was able to get my hands on cameras a lot faster. I think right. um, versus working in a, in, a, in a union state. Good. And, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get deep into this like uh, deeper than Masters of Divinity has ever gotten. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I could talk about this all else. day. <laughs> right, right, right. And I, right, I will yeah. subject our audience to it. Like you, you, yeah. you, you listen to our I like to punish our audience sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually I listen and I'm like my brain goes all over the place like super ADD. Like I, uh, the one I listened to today was from June, and you guys were talking about forgiveness. But it took you guys like a good twenty minutes to really get into it. Because <laughs> I was just like, and I'm like making dinner and like waiting. I'm like, what's this show gonna be about? Why are they talking about fireworks? But uh, but that's that's one of the, I think that's one of like the beautiful things about what you guys are doing is that it's oh, very. You. First of all, it's it's really really intelligent. Was kind of my first thought about your guys' well, podcast. I appreciate uh, that. 
and it's weird because we're on video, so I'm like nodding my head, but and I so I don't know if a lot of things are gonna yeah. come across to the listeners. They call that bad but, podcasting <laughs> when you yeah. do gestures and stuff. Like they can't see that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's super intelligent, but also really really casual in the fact that like then I found myself made me wonder like what you guys would think about certain subjects just because you you guys cover so much, right? And I think you do it really really gracefully to tie in each person's expertise and each person's um sort of character if you will well thank you so much i appreciate that and i'm sure uh, my other hosts do um yeah yeah, yeah so then to the point this this episode is going to be so much different <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> it is going to be different without the masters of divinity here i will say that uh uh so yeah. all right so that that's your experience it's kind of your journey that that you've you know in a nutshell your origin story becoming a filmmaker working in the industry you're working in nashville which i think is actually pretty cool uh, what's it? What's, yeah, a, what's it like yeah, working in Nashville? Like, I mean, are you like a big country fan? Is this guy kind of like a, you know? I I grew up as a big country fan. Yeah, so right, it's um, I don't I've I've shot I directed something for Terry Clark when I was like twenty six. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't anything big. It was um, it was uh, how do you call it? It was actually she was doing a crowd fundraiser for a new album or something she had coming out. But that was like one of the cooler experiences just because I grew up listening to Terry Clark. So cool. There's Nashville is such a small town that once you start working here, you just you, you keep working and you keep seeing the same people. So it, it's kind of a, it traps you in a little bit. You're like, I don't want to leave. It's so comfortable. <laughs> it's really exciting. I, I got I got to ask you, I, I, have you worked with with uh, uh, Miss Miss Parton, Miss Dolly Parton? I have never worked with Dolly Parton. It no? seems like oh. everybody has, but I haven't. No, no, no. Yeah. Fingers crossed, have, though. Actually. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll keep my fingers crossed. It's funny. It seems like everybody has, and I and I never yeah. have. But it's funny. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about your film. Sure. Uh, Love Gwen is the name of it, and uh, this is kind of your your debut, right? As a as a narrative as a filmmaker, as, as an auteur, really, because you, you, you both wrote it and directed, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, did, how did this come about? How did they, where did this idea come from? What inspired you to actually finally, let's, let's, let's you know, let's uh, make, finally make a movie? It was, it was um, a series of things, I suppose, but the main catalyst um, was that I, I had gotten to a point where... Um, I knew I wanted to make a short film for a long time. So I had purposefully saved up a bunch of money and also paid off a gigantic student loan that I, that I still owed on. So I, I kind of set myself up financially to do it. And I, it took me a couple years to actually do that. So what I did, and I'm going to include way too much information. It's all right. But what I did, I actually was working, um, cre- creating video content for a brand for two years. So essentially it was a corporate job. Um, but I tell you what, corporate America's got some money. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I took the job so I could save up money to do a short film, but I didn't know what I wanted to do yet or what it would be. I just knew I kind of needed the money. So, um, then the job wanted me to move to Huntsville, Alabama, and that's when I was like, okay, well, that's my cue to quit because I'm not going to move to Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so the choice was move or resign. So I chose to resign. And by then it just, it worked out that 
uh, January 1st was my first day back to freelance of this year. Um, so that's when I kind of decided that I would just dedicate this year to, um, to, I wanted to make movies and I didn't know how I was going to do it yet, but I thought, let me, let me just go ahead and, and just make this year the year that I'm going to do it. So then, um, I produced a short film for another director in town who is, in my opinion, 180 degrees different than I am as a director. Okay. We're just very, very opposite as far as storytelling goes, but not in a, not in a, in a bad way, just in a, you know, two very different artists type of way. So I wanted to work with different content kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this was part of my, um, my, my plan for just making movies this year. I'm like, okay, well me producing someone else's short film that, that counts, right? Like that's, that's okay. It's still in the, in the right trajectory, if you will. So I produced that and it was, um, just like a wildly eye opening experience and also just confidence building experience of like, okay, I think I can just make movies now. Um, whatever that's supposed to mean. It's sort of that whole notion of like, just finally giving yourself permission to do what you want to do. So what wound up happening was it did that and it was a great experience and a really, um, uh, eye opening experience in a lot of ways. And then I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know if I wanted to keep pursuing producing or, or what I wanted to do. And, um, I wound up meeting up with someone who I had interned with when I was in college and I was telling her, um, you know, I think I'm a good producer and I do mostly documentary for my work and bread and butter, but I want to be doing narrative films. And I was like, what would you do if you were in my situation where you've had some success in your career, but you're not going the direction where you want to go? Yeah. And she was like, why don't you go be a director? Because we need more female directors. And there's sort of this push within the industry right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so she encouraged me to apply for the AFI Directing Women's Workshop. Yeah. Now, um, uh, now talk about that for a second. The the AFI directing yeah. the, the AFI Women's Directing Workshop. That's a that's a that's a huge deal. It is. It is. And like I still haven't heard back. Um, <laughs> so who knows? But so um, it's like it's like so getting yeah, into Harvard like, is what I is what I hear. Yeah, it's super, super hard to get into. So she was like, so it's June and um, it's this past June. And she's like, you should go do this. She was like, I'll write you a a letter of recommendation. And then um, and she's just she's always been very supportive of of everything. And um, she said, just go. You have to send in a a short um, as part of your application. So just go make a short um, and, and get it done. And like in my head, I'm kind of like, just go make a short in two months. <laughs> like that's not, yeah, that's not easy. But then also in my head, I said, but if she thinks I can do it, then maybe I can. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um, then I, I texted um, Sarah Haas, who's a producer in Nashville, who I, I had been wanting to work with. And I had not had the time and we hadn't been able to do anything together. So I said, do you, I said, would you like to produce a short for me? Um, I'm going to try to apply to the AFI, um, directing women's workshop. And, um, and the, the, one of my strategies is always to surround myself with people who I think 
are better than me at, at what we do. Yeah. Um, and Sarah Haas is one of those people. Um, she also has extremely good taste in film. Um, so I knew if I could give her a script that she thought was worthy of being made, then I knew like, okay, it's a, it's a good script. So she said, um, she'd produce it for me and that she didn't have anything going on in July, which was lucky for me because that's the only time when we could do it. <laughs> so then I had to figure out, okay, well, what, what film are we going to make? And, um, and I had written some shorts in the past and I sent them to her and, um, I didn't, I wasn't super enthusiastic about anything that I sent to her. And so then on the flight back to Nashville, I watched the film Sicario. I hadn't seen it. And nice. uh, Matt and I are huge fans of that film. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, I want to write a character like Emily Blunt's character in that, where she's just, she's this badass leading female, like somebody who like, in my opinion, I would like to be friends with someone like that. Like she seems yeah. awesome. Right. But she also like has some some flaws, and she's divorced, and we don't know why. And like, so you kind of huh. there's there's a lot of depth to her. I was just saying, uh, Amanda brought up Sicario as a big inspiration for her film, and yeah, I was just yeah. She, you and I are like uh, saw that movie together. We're like enormous fans of that movie. I'm obsessed. Yes. Would be a better word. Um, obsessed would yeah. be a better word for it. And <laughs> that, and this, I mean as a as a huge compliment. That makes a lot of sense. Having seen <laughs> right. short film. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, now a, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense that that was like an inspiration behind it. And yeah. might I say, very, very well done. Um, yes. Because Thank knowing you. that, knowing that, now I'm like, holy crap! Not only was it an inspiration, but you like, you you matched it in the the tone to the short, mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. the the way it was filmed. Your who who is your main character? Who is that? Uh, the actress. Yes. Her name is Valerie Jane Parker, and she is amazing. She is she, completely amazing. She was amazing. That's why I'm like, yeah. who is this? Because yeah, oh my gosh. I, I'm not gonna lie. I obviously I I've never met you, so it's very nice <laughs> yeah. to meet you. Um, yeah, and likewise. JP's like, we're gonna watch a short film, and I'm like, all right, this is gonna go one of two ways. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna be it's gonna be good, and I'm gonna be able to be like, wow, this really was good. Or it's going to be like, this is really bad, and I don't know how I'm going to talk to this person on a podcast. <laughs> and you're going to be and, like, and you're going to be like, so have you thought about furthering your education? <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe stick with producing. Um, I heard they're taking no. teachers in China, like just. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was really, it was really good, and then the level of performances in it surprised me because not only was, oh, not only was yeah. your directing and the way it looked great but the actor and actresses in it were great like i was just i was impressed all around i i would say probably from the first scene that we shot with her on the first day she just had such a command of that role that i was just kind of like okay it's your movie (laughs) you you Uh, just do it and, and i'll just be here and make sure it's gonna cut well you know um it really felt like there were there were times when i i just really felt like i did not 
have to do much at all um, just because they were so in it. And she understood the character a lot more deeply than I did. And I, I realized that really early on because I had, I had written it as an allegory for addiction itself. And for people listening who haven't seen it, it's about a woman who has had a codependent relationship with her younger sister, who is a heroin addict. She hasn't seen the younger sister in a while. We don't really know how long. And then she gets a call um, that a bail bondsman knows where the sister is and that she's not in a good place. It's a motel where bad things happen. So the older sister goes to try to get the younger sister out of the motel. And then um, as far as writing and structure goes, the rest of it, um, to me, was an allegory for addiction itself because what the lead character does is goes through all those things that an addict goes through to sort of get their, their high or get their hit. And in this case, um, the older sister's high is rescuing her, her younger sister. Hmm. So that's why we see all those physical transformations that she goes through and, and, and all those things that she winds up doing. So I had seen the character, Alyssa, who's, who's played by Valerie Jane Parker. I'd seen the character, you know, she was basically just this person who's doing these allegorical things for me as a writer. And then, um, what Valerie did was was make her into a person. So there were times like uh, the scene where she's drinking a beer on the couch. I would ask Valerie, I'd be like, "Would she drink wine or beer?" Because I don't, I don't know. And so Valerie would would come up with whatever she thought the character would do. That that's funny to me because um, I'm not gonna lie. I'm watching it, and there's a scene where she's sitting on the couch drinking a beer. And I kid you not, my thought is, well, that's mm-hmm. interesting because like my mm-hmm. wife is disgusted by beer she won't go anywhere near it so when i drink beer she's like what are you doing and it seemed and it seemed very it seemed very purposeful so it's interesting to hear that it actually was like she mm-hmm. it was a decision that was like all right what should she be drinking wine or beer and it's like no this character would be drinking a beer it's not about yeah. sitting down it's not about sitting down relaxing sipping a glass of wine this is about I'm at my I'm at my wit's end, and I want something to drink now. So you pop the top off the beer, you plop down on the couch and drink it. Um, and yeah. it seemed very purposeful in that scene. And so it's very interesting to hear that because I, <laughs> I it stood out. She's sitting yeah. there drinking. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then there's a yeah. sign that's like, I wonder what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like okay. But no, yeah. it was yeah, it was it was good. She, um, um, I mean, your your actress Valerie. You said her name was. Yes. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, she really like. I mean, it really was kind of her like her, her emotional journey, and like I yeah. think she really carried like the emotional oh arc of that whole of that whole story. Yeah. And like it and and the yeah. story story is a roller coaster. Like mm-hmm. I'm feeling all kinds of feels through the entire thing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and and you did such a great job of like creating tension and stuff, especially mm-hmm. when when he when she initially meets you know the um, uh, her sister's drug dealer. Um, yeah, yeah. That that was that that guy is awesome too. By the way, uh, oh yeah, kind of um, kind of scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His name is Jared Carter, and um, he and I have become pretty good friends this year. Oh, good. He, um, I had I had seen him about a year and a half ago. He had sent me um, his resume for a part. And we didn't wind up working together on that project, but um, he is a what I call a great 
screen actor. It's all in his face, and it's like everything that he does is so much for the screen versus um, Nashville. You just don't get that a lot with with talent here, but he has such a good command of, of his face that it really stood out to me. And I had seen him in a music video and it was just this sort of generic country music video, but there, and there's like two shots of him. Like the whole music video is not really about his part, mm-hmm. but the two shots of his part, um, just, you saw so much emotion in it. And I was like, okay, he's a screen actor. So yeah. I need him for, for some things. So, right. um, you said this is sort of, uh, an allegory for addiction. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. of course, you know, it touches on the, the opioid addiction, the, the opioid epidemic that's you know, currently, yeah, currently, you know, ravaging our country. And, you know, I think one of the things I like about the subject matter, what you've kind of chose to do with it, I kind of look at it as sort of like a form of like cinematic, like journalism. Yeah. And, yeah, I can definitely. And, you know, you said, you said, you know, Sicario is a big uh, influence, you know, and I think movies, I think movies like Sicario, movies like, uh, Zero Dark Thirty or like, uh, uh, movies that sort of tackle those kind of subjects and you can kind of fictionalize it. Zero Dark Thirty is not really fictional. I mean, at least we don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I guess there's like a big contrary as whether or not Zero Dark Thirty was yeah. true or not. Um, but basically my point is, is like, it's, 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 it's cinema and, and journalism without being a documentary. And yeah. I thought yeah. that was, I thought, I think I, I really like that. I think that's really interesting. So what, what kind of, what, what brought you to, uh, wanting to tackle addiction for your film? Um, well, for, for one thing, I had never thought of, of calling it that, but I think that's the perfect way to, to call it the cinematic journalism. I don't, people will ask me like, well, I don't understand, like, what are you trying to say with the film? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm really trying to say anything. I just want to show you like what these characters go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the audience, you, you just sort of take, it's natural for you to take whatever you're going to take from it due to your, due to your own yeah. disposition in life. So you, you take the emotional journey, um, but so you're also journalism. informed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So cinematic journalism is a, is a really good way to put it. But yeah, so the, the addiction piece, um, it's, it's loosely based off of, um, actual events that happened with my mom and my younger sister. Um, my younger sister, Julia has, uh, struggled with addiction since she was 15. So that's, that's who the Gwen character is based off of. Mm-hmm. And she, Julia is, is now in recovery and she was super helpful in the entire filmmaking process. She was super open to explaining things and and that's part of what makes the whole thing so authentic the whole film so authentic but um but she had a relapse last summer and um wound up getting arrested um she really did let someone else drive her car and got arrested for it because the other driver was drunk and that's what the character says in the film happened to her And then she did not go home. She was living with my parents at the time. She's uh, She was 22 at the time, so she's still pretty young. She did not go home. She wound up going to this motel. And what really happened um, in the real story is my mom called the bail bondsman to, to see what happened to my sister. And he said he had taken her to this motel. He told her not to go there, but she insisted. And it's not a good place. Um mm-hmm. 
and what is happening in, especially in the Northeast and in the mid Atlantic region, uh, Maryland is, is where my family is and where my sister and my mom are. What has been happening is, uh, People involved in sex trafficking will target addicts. Um, sometimes they'll go to methadone clinics and, and pick them up, or they'll just find them. I guess it's uh, addicts, and they seem to be able to find each other um, pretty easily. They will specifically target um, female addicts, and I guess what they do is they get them high beyond belief, and um, then they will sell them to as many people who will buy them sex that night and at this particular motel in west virginia where my sister wound up um the police knew about it and were building a case on it but that means it it takes time to build a case on it so it's still going on as people are trying to put a stop to it um but essentially i got the impression that um you know not only did the bond guy know what this motel was but a lot of a lot of the police in the area knew what it was too hmm. um and i guess there's there's we have a saying in my family of that's another story we'll never know because with addiction there's just so many things where you'll never know the real story of what actually happened hmm. whether it's you know my sister not being honest or whether it's her just frankly not remembering but um Long story short, she did get robbed and wound up in the room with these men who get these women very drugged. Hmm. Um, And some guy decided that she didn't look like she belonged there, so he took her to a different motel. And then my mom went to that motel the next day, couldn't find her, all her stuff was gone, except for like her cell phone was left behind, very strange things. So... Um, we don't know who the other guy was or, or why he thought she didn't belong there or, or what the deal was. Um, but that's essentially what happened. And my mom had called the police to come, um, to the motel just to, to do a welfare check. And my mom was furious and wanted the police to go down to the room where these men were with all these women. And, um, the police, they, they just told her, they were like, um, you don't know what you're dealing with. Um, you need to get in your car and leave and never come back. Wow. And that was like probably one of the harder stories for me to ever hear, um, about things that have happened with my sister. Um, and then I thought, I thought it would be perfect as a short for Mm -hmm. a lot of practical reasons. Right. And I also thought it would be an interesting way to show a window into codependency um Mm -hmm. if it was told from the codependent person's point of view so in in this you know my mom has struggled with codependency for years and and rightfully so because it's your daughter um of course and so i just i didn't feel like i could write from uh, my mom's perspective so i chose to write from a perspective of someone my age and also because i was super into Emily Blunt's role in Sicario. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but so that's, that's why I wound up um, kind of mixing the two point of views. So it's it's a lot more like my mom's relationship with my sister versus my relationship with my sister, but told from someone uh, my age, I guess. I see. Um, wow, that is a... Um, I mean, that is a harrowing story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I think I was shocked at first to hear yeah. that type of story. And then I, I started doing, I was so shocked that I didn't even want to like think about it. And then as I started doing writing, I had to really do the research and find out like, what are these motels and what are these people doing? Because it's yeah. not just that one motel in West Virginia. It happens a lot of places. It's so fortunate that guy was there. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, um, Matt, are you there? Yeah, still oh. here. Good. I'm kind of interested in your perspective, little Matt, uh, since you are an officer of the law. Did did, did Amanda pretty much nail it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because it's from the point of view of a sister. So when she goes after her sister, she's not necessarily acting as a law enforcement officer. But at the same time, it was, it was interesting to see um, the way she handled the situation and the way that she went about it was almost like a an undercover work um, where, I mean, she's she goes with the gun, but she's willing to give up the gun because that'll get her in the door. Like, it's very methodical, resourceful. very thought out. But, at, but, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's resourceful. It's, it's off the, it, it's off the cuff. It's like, all right, I got to do this. I'm faced with the challenge. I got to move here. Um, so I thought the way, the way that she was reacting in it fit very well with the, the character and the idea of coming from, from that background. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was the the story was 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 emotional to watch on my end too, because as JP knows, I had a, a close friend who dealt with a drug addiction, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. had a had kind of I mean, he he didn't have the same situation that like you were discussing with your sister, but but he did have a situation where he was staying with some people, and he came back high. And they're like, look, you can't do this in our house because they had other concerns to worry about. And instead of waiting for the next day when they were going to help get him somewhere else, he left and went to our motel nearby. That's that's mm. known for that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found out he was staying there and three of us tried to go over and find him, but we actually couldn't find him that night. Um, so watching it brought back a lot of that also. Um, Because unfortunately, it is unfortunately it is a very, a very common and very real story. Um, Yeah. And I don't and I don't think people realize that. I think a lot of people would watch your short film and go, "Wow, that was really creative." Um, I wonder where she came up with it, and not realize how real, how how dead on it is with what happens a lot. Probably happening just Um, down the highway from them, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this one. Yeah. And this one happened. I mean, um, JP kind of knows the area here. It's a hotel right off Lake Worth Road. No, of um, course. So it's like it's like five miles from my house. And mm-hmm. it's just it's the place that's known. And like you said, building a case against a place takes time. So it's a it's like they know there's the issue there. They know mm-hmm. what's going on there. But until you can until you can build a case big enough to prove it beyond a doubt, you can't do anything about it. So it's this yeah. weird in between that they hit where it's like, yeah, we know this is happening, but we can't go kick the door in and drag people out. We have to wait until we have a reason to go in. Um, and it, it makes for a very, a very weird in between time when, when that's happening. Um, so yeah, watching, watching this, I think that's why the, the, 
the actresses in it and stuff, the emotion that they're able to portray in it. It was definitely very, very moving to watch it and um, to have kind of a small, a small window into that world and in my mm -hmm. life and see and then see that on in your in the film that you did was it, it was very good. Just mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you, uh, you know, you said that that your, your main character in the movie, Alyssa, mm -hmm. you said, you know, she's partially inspired by Emily Blunt's character, Sicario, and uh, it kind of serves as sort of like uh, delivering some analogies and stuff. Uh, and I'm sure there, there is some of you in her and the fact that, you know, it's, it's an older sister and a younger sister and their relationship. But is there anything else of you inside in Alyssa when you were writing her? Uh, the beer drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Boy, I don't know. Um, I not the way I personally don't think so, and especially not in the way that that Valerie took her. Like I said, I think Valerie really made her into a, a real uh, yeah. human being, if you were. So I think like maybe on the page there was a lot of me in there, but there were actually some choices um, that Valerie made in some of the climactic scenes that turned out much different than the way that I had written them. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I had sort of, by the time we get to the climax and she's in the room with, with the antagonist, who's this man who's running this sex trafficking ring. Um, I kind of, the way I wrote it was that this, she's, she's screwed essentially. And she's got these two little girls that she finally, you know, starts thinking about. So I had written it, differently and, and on, on set then we go to do rehearsals and um and 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 Valerie and Jared did it very differently than I was written than than it was written um not as far as dialogue goes but just as far as like um how I thought it was going to play out versus what they did with it right. um but one of the best things about working with her was that I, if, if there was something that we um that she was thinking of differently than I was or vice versa. I, we would talk to each other and just say, so what do you, what do you want to do here? Or what do you, what do you think she would do here and things like that? And ultimately, you know, unless it was something that I knew wouldn't cut well or that I knew wouldn't work well with like blocking or anything practical like that, unless there was some reason to not do it the way that she was thinking, I, I, I basically, I was like, cool, let's, let's do it that way because her choices were so dead on. And so that's why I think um, the way Alyssa is in the film is is not very much like me because I, I think okay. I would have been like crying and like <laughs> I don't know I would not have been um, as tough as as she winds up being in that in that yeah. motel room. Um, okay, all right. Um, can uh, do you mind if I if we bring up the ending for a minute? Like, is it is it kind of a spoiler? No, you, do you, do you no, know? no, no, go for it. No, oh. I think spoilers are good for short films. I think you should spoil them. That way, people will be like, "Oh, I want to see that." <laughs> yeah, see Matt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, Matt didn't want to spoil it. No, no, no. We 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 we've argued about spoilers. Oh, okay. okay I don't yeah. care about them. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many uh, movies. Just... <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, there's, so many there's movies. just certain. There's certain movies I did not want JP to spoil for me. That's what he is referring to, and he would <laughs> he would constantly be teasing that he's going to give away the ending. Um, yeah. So there, there's a context. There's a context to that discussion. Because the reverse would be like, Matt, just tell me the ending. I, I want to know. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and why and why I considered punching him in the face during it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. We're, we've healed. We're moving on. And yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I want to I want to talk about the ending. So I want to hear what JP. I was uh, what his questions were. Yeah. I was interested in the ending because when uh, in the ending, um, Elizabeth was with her two daughters and her her uh, I guess her oldest asks, you know, when I grow up, you know, is my sister going to be living with me like am i gonna take care of her and um Alyssa tells her no you're gonna be able to take care of her or she's gonna be able to take care of herself and you don't have to take care of her basically mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. sorry i can't what what is the verbatim. what is what is the line the last line um she says when you're a grown-up you'll just take care of yourself right i was interested in that because right. um is that sort of like what what um Alyssa is sort of taking away from the experience I think so, and I think it's what she has probably struggled with for a long time with her younger sister. Um, Because in my mind, I think the codependency issues with her younger sister are probably what ruined her marriage. Um, Um, It's implied that that Jason, the guy from the beginning, is her ex-husband, and they share the kids and whatnot. So I think the codependency issues are something that she struggles with probably all the time and that's probably why she finally just cut Gwen out of her life until she gets that phone call Mm -hmm. um and I think the only sense that she can make of it is um the argument of of self-care and that you you have to take care of your priorities which in this case it's it's herself and her kids and I think just by going to the motel she she put the kids, you know, she puts herself in such a dangerous position by going to that motel and doing what she does. And then she just continues to dig her own grave, so to speak, um, as the film goes on. And, and so I think what, what I wanted to do with it from the writing standpoint was sort of go along the lines of what I think recovering addicts have to do every day is just make the good choice for that one day. Um, you know, there's a reason why the 12 step program says, you know, you take it one day at a time. And I think for someone who's as codependent as Alyssa was with this addiction being a family disease, you know, her, her remedy is going to be the same as an addict's remedy is just every day. You're just going to have to choose to take care of your own priorities and maybe somewhere down the road, Gwen can be in your life in a, in a healthy way. But until then, it's it's just you just take care of yourself. Yeah, and I was interested by that because you know I, I feel like it's such a cultural thing that you know the older sibling always has to look out for the younger sibling no matter what, and it's like yeah. so hammered into them to where like yeah, a codependency is gonna is gonna develop, and so just to kind of see a parent mm-hmm. tell like you know you know her her daughter like you're not gonna have to do that like don't don't worry that much whereas like you know culturally it's always like oh look out for your little kid sister all the time yeah yeah so i thought that was really interesting and particularly like in as as it pertains particularly to this podcast i think you could argue that that's not a very christian thing to say no not at all no (laughs) to to, to, to an extent it should be though right like it it should be, and it, and it's on a personal level. It really took me a long time to understand self care in general. It's not yeah. I wasn't bad at it, just by the grace of my personality type or whatever. But I never acknowledged that 
but it's an actual thing that you can be purposeful with right. um, until a few recent years. And then that discovery kind of helped me understand balances with my own family life, because what you discover is that addiction is um, more than likely never going to go away, especially, I mean, heroin is just, yeah. it's its own beast. So once you start, the more you learn about addiction, the more self-care becomes really imperative. And I, I grew up Catholic and, um, and, and grew up in a, in a big family. And it was this whole, like, everybody's going to take care of each other. And then you start to realize like, in this situation, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Because it's just, it's not going to pan out. Um, Matt, what were your thoughts? I mean, you said you had some thoughts. Well, I found it, I found it very, I found the ending very interesting, very moving. Um, mm. And the reason being, I think it, I think it has a lot to do with your directing and as, according to what you're saying, the, the actress's choice. Um, and not to, Again, not to, to self-promote, but I have to say, I, um, I, I wrote a book, oh, and in it, but in it, I have a chapter about how, basically, my book is centered around the concept of love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the short version is that you have to know what it means to love yourself before you can truly love your neighbor. Um mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I used the story, I used the story of my friend's addiction throughout the book. And I have a chapter mm -hmm. about how, I have a chapter about how sometimes a person's life is like an equation that is, is equaling death or destruction. And the only part that mm -hmm. you can play in it is to remove yourself from the equation. And that the most mm -hmm. loving act you can do, the most loving act you can do is allow them to walk away and say that I'll be here if you ever come back, but I refuse to go with you. Um, yeah. Is that, that, that what tough love is? And that, well, and it's, but it's not, that's the thing is, I don't think it's, it's like, I don't, I don't see it as a tough love, but I do see it as like, as you, as Amanda Just called love. it, it's self care, but yeah. it's love. Like if I don't, if I don't know what loving myself is and knowing how to see that I have a worth and I have purpose that is, is placed on me, not because I'm special, but because I was created with worth and purpose and mm -hmm. then use that to point out to other people that they have worth and purpose also. But if I, if I continued to follow my friend around and act like everything was fine and I'll always be here with you, it doesn't matter what you do. You just keep doing it. I'll be here holding your hand. Mm -hmm. I'm actually becoming a part of the problem. And that mm -hmm. sometimes sometimes you have to step back and and go you know what this is this is destructive toward me and i am being destructive toward them by allowing myself to slowly be torn down i can't yeah. i can't help them if i'm allowing me to become and i think your your character in the short film you see her becoming like you said her own her own addict she starts becoming yeah. addic uh, literally the physical representation of addiction as she's trying to help her friend and yep. you have to hit this point where you realize that I can't, I can't help somebody with their addiction if I'm struggling with my own form of one and denying yeah. it the whole time. And all I'm doing is becoming an enabler for that person. And mm -hmm. I found the ending, um, the ending very interesting because it was, 
it's like the way the the way the line is delivered the way the shot is something about it when i saw it it's both at the same time hopeful and hopeless you're the second good. person who's who has said that exact <laughs> same bitter, thing of bitter, hopeful and hopeless bittersweet yeah. yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know how to take this. Like when she says a line to her daughter, there's a part of you that wants to go, no, that's selfish. Go out there and help. And then there's the other part of you that's like, yes, empower her to, to live in a way where she's watching out for herself in a good way, not mm-hmm. selfish, but in a way that's that's making sure that she's as strong as she can be, because that's the only way we're actually going to help anybody else. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the way. way- the way that final scene took place, it goes to the credits, and I'm like, I don't even know what to think right now. Like, I, I don't know right. if I'm uplifted. I don't know if I'm uplifted or if I should go huddle in a corner. Like, it, it was it was a very powerful, very powerful yeah. moment. And the reason I asked you, I actually watched the ending twice. I had to back it up, watch it again, and then I still had to ask you what the last line was because in my mm-hmm. head I wasn't sure if it was like. No, when you grow up, you'll just have to care for yourself. Or if I honestly couldn't remember if she said that, or if she said, no, when you grow up, you're going to live alone. And I was like, that to me is how the ending, (laughs) and that to me is how the ending was like both hopeful of like, yeah, you'll care about, you'll be able to care for yourself or hopeless. No, you'll always be alone. Like I honestly was so, so twisted inside by it that I was like, I don't even remember what she said. And I watched it twice. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But, yeah. And she says, but um, it, was, it was very, very powerful. Yeah. And, and the, for the record, the, the whole line is when you grow up, you'll just take care of yourself. Um, yeah, was, and then, and then the, and, and one of the really beautiful parts of it is we hang on, we hang on Valerie who she kisses her daughter on the forehead and then she looks crazily unsure and also frustrated about it mm-hmm. which is i mean that's that's what i thought she was doing but um but i think that's that's how we we feel as well and i think like that's like when i say like i don't i don't know what i want people to think about this film because i kind of think like maybe we as humans like we know we know self-care is so important especially right. um Maybe even especially so in, in, in first world countries where we have the privilege of actually being able to consciously think about that, you know. Um, so in that regard, you know how important it is. But there is a, a sadness to it in knowing, I guess, what you would what you would potentially sacrifice at some point right. for as far as how, how much can you care about a loved one or how much can you act on behalf of a loved one. I don't know. It's there's. I still don't fully know maybe what it's what it's asking, but <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I, mean, um, I have to give you kudos because as someone you know, I've I've worked in film festivals and stuff. I've I've programmed smaller festivals and I've had to sit through a lot of short films. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one thing you were able to pull off a few things that I that not many mm-hmm. people can pull off with a short film. A uh, twenty com- clocking in at twenty eight minutes. Um, and yeah. still be like, I'm like enthralled <laughs> the entire time and like yeah. kind of glued to it. That is, that it's is a long, no, short film, yeah. that is no easy task. I have to tell you. Um, right. but you really pulled it off. And the other is, you know, a lot of short films, um, even, even the good ones, they usually kind of end like on a twist. Uh, yeah. There's always some kind of, there's always a twist. I don't know. I don't know what, what the thinking is behind that. I guess it's because, you know, you have so, so little time to work with. And you want to get like some mm-hmm. kind of 
you want to hit them it's hard like somehow. Put fireworks at the end. Yeah, yeah, like there's always some kind it's of like twist. People want to put fireworks at the end, and they're like, they're like, they're like, I'm gonna show you a show, and then all of a sudden there's gonna be pyrotechnics. Like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's, that's what the twist always feels like to me. You're kind of like, okay, but um, yeah, I know it's a lot about the show. Yeah, that, yeah, that, and I want to say a lot about like you know, student films too. Earlier, it's like you, you got to shamble on this thing somehow to just to make people like, oh, oh, like you know, get that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this didn't have that, which was refreshing. <laughs> right. And yeah. It was, so it, 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 the fact that you're able to do a 28 minute long short and still keep it very mm-hmm. engaging, very interesting, and also stick the landing with the ending. Um, mm-hmm. congratulations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the only twist at the end is what you did to my emotions and insights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is how it yeah, should be. Yeah. It's um, how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I and I have to say, and and I mean this in the best way possible, is mm-hmm. I honestly watched it and it felt, it felt like it felt longer in the sense that it felt like a, a full length movie. Like it didn't feel, mm-hmm. it didn't feel lacking in any way. The in the twenty eight minutes, you you delivered a, a story from start to finish that that left me with the feeling that I just sat down and watched a great feature length movie, like. Um, I I was just I was impressed at how the story how it moved how it how it went from from beginning to end how it got there in in a short mm-hmm. amount of time without feeling without feeling rushed or feeling like okay we actually only had five minutes how do we make this longer um, yeah no it was it was just it was it was really good I I it, like I said those credits started going and I was like what just happened <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, yeah, so. Amanda, what's uh, what's next? Um, what is next? What are you so gonna we, do with? Uh, um, you can try to shop around to some festivals and stuff. Oh. Yeah, so we're submitting to a bunch of festivals. Um, good, good. We we made it just in time for the Sundance deadline, so I'm kind of knocking a wood, or that would be that would be nice. a good one. But um, we've submitted to a bunch of festivals, and then um, Sarah Haas, the producer, she. Um, Forgive me, Sarah Haas. I forget what her position is at um, Citizen Jane Film Festival, but she'll be at Citizen Jane, which is later this month. Um, and it's that? a it's a festival. It's in Missouri, okay. and it's all for I want to say it's all female directors. Oh, really? wow. That's that's what they showcase. It's all female directors, and um, she will be on a on a panel. So we'll get to show the trailer for this there. And we we were not in time. For that deadline this year, but but next year we'll we'll send it off for that one hopefully for Citizen Jane. Um, but it'll, it'll be neat to be able to show the, the trailer there, which um, hopefully would be an interesting talking point for people. Yeah. And you, then uh, you said you mm-hmm. submitted to Sundance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. We submitted to oh, Sundance. Good luck with so, that. Yeah, That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, they get a lot of submissions. So. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Um but yeah, just submitting to a bunch of festivals. Um I think we've we've submitted to, to quite a few already, so we'll see what happens. Um and then um down the road I would love to find a, a brand to to help distribute it. Some somebody that has you know, a large platform of viewers or um 
Amazon now does short film distribution. Oh, that's interesting. So I I don't really know the details, um, but that's something I'll be looking into as well. Um, That's that's the one bummer is there's not a ton of things for for shorts out there, you know, as far as like the lifespan of it and and what can you do with it and things like that. Um, But the the joy of this one is I'm just so proud of it and I'm so happy with it that it's kind of like it's it's I think it'll be um, quite fun just to have those conversations and and see what the what the outcome can be um, because we don't really know right now. But um, the other thing we've considered, there have been a few people who said they want more or like they want to see it as a feature or they want to know more about the characters. Um, Because something I I wanted to do is have each character really have their own story. Um, So I I have considered maybe doing it as a mini series. And then you might see like what happens to Gwen and what's Jason's life like. And what about the curly haired man? Is he ever going to get arrested or is he just going to keep doing this? Um, Cause there's, there's kind of a lot of, a lot of a world there as far as story goes. So that's something I've considered, but I haven't written anything on it. Um, And uh, kind of, I finally have gotten to the point of like being able to get out of the love Gwen world and and move on creatively in my head. Um, So I think uh, the next, the next thing I'm working on is, is a feature and it's about, um, yeah, it's about a woman who tries to get divorced from her husband in 1959, and ultimately she cannot. So wow, yeah. So and it's, that sounds really it's, interesting. Yeah, it's actually based off of uh, my grandparents. So really? it's uh, yeah, and she. So it's um, there's there's a lot of things to dig into there, but I'm interested in, and they're both they both passed away. They've been. Um, deceased for for quite some time but um i'm really interested in pushing these two characters this husband and wife to their to their limits and then seeing them you know either forgive each other because by the third act of the feature when she cannot get divorced um these two people wind up staying married for their entire lives so i'm interested to see like how do you, how do you, how does that work? So yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see how those characters kind of come out. Well, great. But it goes back to actually that cinematic journalism thing that we were talking about. Yeah. I mean, then that is something, I mean, I, I don't know my, my vast movie knowledge. I, I can't think of a, a story that I've seen that, that was, you know, about a, a divorce that someone who could not get divorced, you know, legally. Especially right. in that time period, you know, maybe I guess it happened in Mad Men. I don't, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think and it's it not so Men, much. But yeah, it's... right. That's the only thing to stay away from is sort of any any Mad Men storylines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that like people kind of know, but that people haven't really, don't. No one's really dived into it. So I think right. that's uh, that's really interesting territory to explore, and I think it'll be really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. So are you still going to try to get uh, get into that uh, uh, women's directing program at AFI? Yeah, so I, I applied and got the application and everything. Um, I actually submitted a sci-fi script for that. Um, Ooh, nice. So we'll, we'll see like what that. happens there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. Still waiting to hear back. So that would be that would be great if if that opportunity very cool uh, came up. But we'll we'll see what happens. Great. A woman who attended that program, uh, her name is Courtney Hoffman, 
and she was mm. a costume designer on Hateful Eight and uh, Baby Driver. And then okay. she wanted to transition in directing, so she went to that she went to that workshop, and she made this really cool okay. short, she made this really cool short film. It was it's a western, uh, uh, okay. it's like a, a, starring Laura Dern. I feel like I've heard about. Did you tell me about it? Did I? Maybe. I don't know because. I, I remember seeing Laura Dern's, you know, maybe I was like looking at women who have attended the workshop or something, but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, someone got Laura Dern in their film? <laughs> <laughs> She's so good. But yeah, yeah. it, it stars, stars Laura Dern and uh, Alia Shawkat from, uh, mm. played Maybe in Arrested Development. Um, okay. But it, it's pretty cool. You should check it out. I, I, it's awesome. It's about Laura Dern. She's like a Western vigilante and it takes place in a brothel oh, cool. and they're like pretending to be prostitutes yeah. when they like murder this gang and it's amazing that's that's cool that's <laughs> yeah cool. yeah I'll, I'll so but uh, yeah uh, i was gonna say she's so good i don't know if you watched um big little lies on hbo um i watched i was able to watch a few episodes i wasn't able to mm-hmm. i wasn't able to finish it but yeah she's really great in it too yeah yeah that whole that whole cast yeah they really yeah. were yeah um yeah. so well great uh good luck with that amanda i hope you're able to get in and i hope uh thank you i mean i thank I, you so I, much I, I hope that some festivals take notice but I, I i i don't doubt that they will i think that uh i think you've made something really great and uh i think a lot of people are gonna like it so awesome thank you so much and thank, uh, you. thank you no and and i think a, a great a great triple feature for you mm-hmm. is um, definitely sicario um so it'd be Sicario, Wind River, and Love Gwen. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Love Gwen yeah, would yeah. make a good. Um, it would make a good like short like you know accompaniment. Yeah, that would be yeah. Yeah, I haven't yeah, even seen Wind River yet. I've been. I've heard really great things about it. Wind River is incredible, but what all three of those have in common is you will leave going. I don't know if I should. Um, if I'm uplifted or if I am um, left in the dark, <laughs> like, yeah. but I think that the, I think that you, yeah. you fit into like JP was saying that you fit into that cinematic journalism area. And uh, mm-hmm. those, those two movies have those kind of aspects to them where they're shining light on something that people don't yeah, what's... Uh, just don't normally pay attention to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. What's the, what's the name what of the, what, JP? what's the name of the guy that wrote, uh, Sicario and Wind River. It's the same writer. No, I don't know. I'm not sure who the writer was. I know Villa Nueva. How do you say his last name? I, I just learned. I, I just learned how to pronounce it. It's Denis. Okay. Villeneuve. Den, Den, Villeneuve. Denis okay. Villeneuve. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Blade Runner is coming out tomorrow, which is his next one, which I'm yes. excited to see. Oh my gosh! Yes, I can't. I actually, I need to go back and rewatch the original. Me and too. Then, I haven't seen it in like ten years. Then, yeah, I haven't seen it in so long. Um, but it's sitting there on the shelf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that is all the time we have this week. Um, Amanda, thank you so much. Uh, thank for, you, for guys. Thank you very much. This is really, really awesome and special. Yeah, definitely had a lot of fun. Um, Matt? Yes. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Matt, thank you. <laughs> and Father Chuck, thank you. Father Chuck, get better, buddy. Father Chuck. Misty this misty this yeah, Well, that's what, that's what happens on your 104th birthday. You throw your back out brushing your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny. When, when, when Amanda and I were, were, were kind of prepping for the episode, I told her, like, uh, Chuck might be going to Disney World or something. Uh, so, like, and, and I can't believe I was actually right. 
<laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also really sad because he hurt himself there. That's that's like that's like the one place you don't want to get injured is Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor Chuck. All right. All right. Uh, again, uh, audience, thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next week. Everyone have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey. Thank you. Good journey.